Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's episode, we have California pursuing deep fake protection, race conscious admission in U.S. Naval Academy hangs on, Denton's to have a new CEO in 2024, and Johnson & Johnson executives lose appeal of conviction. Let's all wish really hard and maybe we can get some snow this holiday season here on the East Coast. But first, let's read today's legal news. On this day in legal history, December 15th, 1894, a significant event unfolded in the annals of American labor history. Eugene V. Debs, a prominent labor leader and later a key figure in the American socialist movement, faced the legal consequences of his role in the Pullman Railroad strike. The strike, which began in May of 1894, was a pivotal moment in labor relations and marked a significant clash between workers' rights and corporate interests. The Pullman strike had its roots in the economic depression of the 1890s. The Pullman Palace Car Company, known for manufacturing luxury railroad cars, drastically cut wages while maintaining high rents in the company town where workers lived. This led to widespread discontent and eventually, under the leadership of Debs and the American Railway Union, a massive strike that paralyzed rail traffic in the Midwest. The federal government's response to the strike was severe. It viewed the strike as a direct challenge to federal authority and the mail system as many railroads carried mail. The government obtained an injunction against the strike leaders invoking the Sherman Antitrust Act, traditionally used against monopolies in an unprecedented manner against a labor union. Debs, refusing to comply with the injunction, was arrested and charged with conspiracy to obstruct mail delivery and interstate commerce. His trial brought national attention to the plight of the working class and the legal boundaries of labor disputes. On December 15th, he was found guilty and sentenced to six months in prison. His imprisonment marked a turning point in his life and career. It was during his time in jail that Debs began to shift his views, moving from a more traditional labor leader to a dedicated socialist. He read extensively, including the works of Karl Marx, and emerged from prison a changed man, eventually running for president of the United States as a socialist candidate multiple times. The Pullman strike and Debs' subsequent trial and imprisonment highlighted the growing tensions in American society over industrialization, workers' rights, and corporate power. It also set precedents for the use of federal power in labor disputes and marked the beginning of a more militant phase in the American labor movement. Today, December 15th, serves as a reminder of Eugene V. Debs' impact on labor history and the ongoing struggle for workers' rights. His dedication to improving the conditions of the working class and his transformation during his incarceration remain key chapters in the legal and labor history of the United States. California is taking proactive steps to enhance its deepfake protections, especially with the looming threat of these technologies in upcoming elections and their misuse in pornography. The state, a leader in anti-deepfake legislation since 2019, already has laws allowing victims of deepfakes to sue distributors. However, lawmakers recognizing the rapid advancements in AI are considering expanding these laws. The current legislation in California, spearheaded by Assemblymember Mark Berman, focuses on two areas, pornography and political elections. Both laws provide victims with legal recourse, but there's a growing consensus that more needs to be done. Assemblymember Gail Pellerin emphasizes the urgency given the ease with which AI can spread misinformation. While these measures are seen as important, their enforcement and effectiveness has been questioned. Critics like Brandy Nanecki from UC Berkeley argue that the laws don't prevent the initial harm caused by deepfakes. She points out the difficulty in enforcing the laws, such as the challenge of proving actual malice in cases. A significant challenge to California's efforts is the potential conflict with federal law, particularly Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects social media platforms from liability for user-generated content. California's current law does not hold these platforms accountable for monitoring deepfakes, a stance that could change with new legislation. Any new laws will also need to navigate First Amendment concerns, especially regarding satire and parody. Drew Liebert of the California Institute for Technology and Democracy suggests reevaluating traditional interpretations of the First Amendment in light of AI's risk to democracy. 
Proposed solutions include outright bans on AI and political communications and stricter guidelines for identifying altered content. Nanecki suggests that technical solutions exist for social media platforms to flag AI-generated content. Enforcement mechanisms in new bills could range from the threat of lawsuits to criminal penalties, a path other states have followed. Assemblymember Trita proposed a bill criminalizing the distribution of sexual deepfake content, but it saw little progress. Meanwhile, Berman is considering legislation to strengthen the existing deepfake laws. As AI technology continues to evolve, California's approach to regulating deepfakes remains a critical issue, particularly with the 2024 election poised to be a significant test of these laws and their effectiveness in the face of advanced AI threats. A U.S. federal judge has refused to block the U.S. Naval Academy's race-conscious admissions policy. This decision comes after the Students for Fair Admissions, SFFA, a group opposing affirmative action, requested a preliminary injunction against the Naval Academy's consideration of race in admissions. The judge, Richard Bennett, appointed by former President George W. Bush, ruled that SFFA failed to demonstrate that the Academy's policy was discriminatory and violated the Fifth Amendment's equal protection rights. The judge's decision acknowledges the Supreme Court's June ruling, which invalidated similar admissions policies at Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. However, the Supreme Court's decision contained an exemption for military academies, recognizing their potential distinct interests. This exemption was a key factor in Judge Bennett's decision to reject SFFA's request. During the court proceedings, the U.S. Department of Justice argued that the military has valid reasons for considering race and admissions to ensure a diverse officer corps for an increasingly diverse armed force. The judge, with over 20 years of military service, cited the history of racial tensions in the military as a context for the current policy. The judge plans to issue a written ruling soon and expedite the trial on the merits of the case, anticipating that it could eventually reach the Supreme Court. The case highlights ongoing debates about race-conscious admissions policies in the U.S., particularly in military academies, and the Biden administration's defense of these policies as crucial for addressing the underrepresentation of minority officers in the military. The Naval Academy's current demographics show disparities in racial representation among officers, underscoring this policy's relevance. Elliot Portnoy, the CEO of Denton's, one of the world's largest law firms, has announced he will step down from his role in November next year. This decision marks a significant leadership change at the firm, which has experienced a period of aggressive international expansion and restructuring. Under Portnoy's tenure, Denton's has grown substantially through global mergers, including a notable combination with Chinese megafirm Da Cheng in 2015, which later ended due to new Chinese national security restrictions. Portnoy's departure follows other recent leadership changes at Denton's, including the replacement of the U.S. branch CEO and the retirement of the global chairman role. Despite losing about half of its attorneys after parting with its Chinese branch, Denton's has continued its expansion strategy, recently combining with Philippine law firm PJS Law to establish a presence in Southeast Asia. Denton's, which employs a Swiss Vereen business structure, allows its international branches to operate independently while sharing a common brand. Portnoy emphasized that his successor would need to be committed to the firm's global growth strategy, a key differentiator for Denton's in the legal market. The firm is currently in the process of hiring an executive search firm to identify Portnoy's replacement, considering both internal and external candidates. Despite the leadership transition, Denton's aims to maintain its strong performance and growth, particularly in the United States, where it has integrated several local and regional firms since 2020. The first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Boston upheld the convictions of two former executives of Aclarin Inc., a medical device company now part of Johnson & Johnson. William Factow, the ex-CEO, and Patrick Fabian, a former vice president of sales, were found guilty of distributing a medical device for unapproved uses. The product in question was the Ruliva Stratus Microflow Spacer, or Stratus, which the U.S. Food and Drug Administration had only cleared for delivering saline after sinus surgery, not for delivering steroids, as the executives promoted. Factow and Fabian were convicted in 2016 on misdemeanor charges for introducing adulterated and misbranded medical devices into interstate commerce. 
However, they were acquitted of more serious felony fraud charges. Last year, they were fined $1 million and $500,000 respectively following a four-year sentencing delay. A clarent acquired by J&J in 2010 had previously settled related claims for $18 million in 2016. On appeal, the defense argued that their convictions violated free speech and due process rights and were based on a misrepresentation of an FDA regulation about a device's intended use. However, the court rejected these arguments with U.S. Circuit Judge Kermit Lopez stating that the law was clear enough to indicate when distributing a device with an unapproved intended use would be criminally liable. And with that, I thank you so much for listening to Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more of the Minimum Competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or story suggestions, you can find us on Mastodon on the esq.social instance. I'm at Andrew and my co-host Gina is at Gina. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not represent those of any organization we may be affiliated with. Nothing here should be construed as legal advice because it is certainly not legal advice. And reviews go a long way towards helping new listeners to find our show. If you have a moment, leave a rating or review on your podcast player. We'd sure appreciate it. And if you know someone that might be interested in a story we cover, consider sending them the episode. Minimum Competence is available at minimumcomp.com and wherever you get your finely crafted podcasts. If you haven't checked out the website in a while, give it a look. There are complete transcripts and resources for each episode and its corresponding segments, as well as an opportunity to receive new episodes in email, newsletter, form. All the links to stories we cover will also be available on links.esq.social, which is our link aggregator in the Fediverse. We'll see you back here on Monday, and until then, consider. If the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, why even bring it up? 